And so we will be posting these online so you can listen to them. You can have your friends listen to them. We actually videoed last week's message about what God's doing here and the encouragement to the community. And we'll be putting that, I think it is on YouTube as of today. It's up on today. So we will share that link to the new Facebook page. Enough with the uh, nitty gritty announcements. Let's get into the Jesus stuff. Um, And I will pray very quickly for us once again. Thank you, Lord, for the individuals that call Polina home, that even would call this their church, and just the excitement that is in these days of uh, being a baby church or a church that is being birthed or continued, Lord. We pray for Travis and Maggie Hale, Lord. Thank, we think of the wonderful labor of love that they have shown with In Faith Ministries for so long. And we thank you that you have just, you've just redirected them to go another direction in ministry in Mitchell and Dayville and Sumter. And, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing, God. Uh, and again, open our hearts to your word. Teach us, help us, do a great thing for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, as I said, Mark is one of the shorter gospels. It is a fast-paced gospel. One of the... Uh, key words of the book of Mark is the word immediately. It's a very fast-paced, uh, quick gospel, where the other gospels will tell a lot of Jesus' sermons and what he had to say. It's interesting that the gospel of Mark says a lot about, uh, it just shows Jesus' actions, you know. And there's a reason behind that. Uh, the theme of the book of Mark is that Jesus is a servant, that Jesus is a servant. There was a purpose behind this gospel being written. While Matthew's gospel was to the Jews to tell them that Jesus was the king of the Jews, there's a genealogy at the beginning of Matthew that goes from uh, Abraham through King David all the way to Jesus to show that Jesus is a rightful heir to the throne of David. He is the Messiah. While Luke's gospel wants to emphasize that Jesus is a man and he's experienced the the life of a man just like anybody else has. Um, And so his genealogy makes special emphasis uh, all the way back to Adam that Jesus was actually a man, fully God and fully man. Uh, John's gospel is to emphasize that Jesus is God. And so it's a great proof text for Jesus being deity from the beginning to the end of the book of John. It's about us knowing that Jesus is the Son of God and that by, belie- by believing that, we would have life in his name. And uh, it's interesting that each of these Gospels, as they were sent out throughout the globe, would have a seal imprinted upon the manuscript. Uh, Matthews had uh, a lion, and that has to do with the kingship of Jesus. Uh, Mark had a man, which was a servant. Oh, forgive me. Mark had a bull, which was a picture of a servant beast of burden. Uh, Luke had a man, and that was the theme, is the, the man manliness of Jesus, I guess. I don't know, I guess his buffness. Um, and uh, John had an eagle, speaking of the deity of Jesus. It's interesting when you read the prophets, such as John the Revelator or Ezekiel, that the cherubim around the throne of God, they have these different like facets to them. If you were over here, it looks like they've got 
like on their face, the face of an eagle, or over here, the face of a man, or over here, the face of a bull, or over here, the face of an eagle. And it's interesting that those kind of help bring worship to just the fullness of who Jesus is as king, as servant, as man, and as God. So, uh, that being said, uh, the theme of Mark is Jesus the servant. A key verse of the book, it's really easy one to memorize. In fact, we just went through this book with our youth group, and I've been encouraging those kids to memorize this verse. Uh, and it is this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's in the context of Jesus telling the disciples, hey, if you want to be great, you need to be the slave of all and the servant of all. For even I, the son of man, I could be totally being served and worshiped right now, but I've come to give my life and to walk a life of a servant. It's a wonderful thing for the youth to hear so that they would learn to serve each other in their homes, among brothers and among sisters and among friends. But you know what? It's a wonderful thing for us to hear, even here in Polina. This is a new season and there's probably tender feelings and it's, you know, change is hard. Change is always hard. We've gone through a lot of change in our church. We've had a lot of change in our lives. So I'm very sympathetic to just the new season for all of you Polinans, I suppose I could say, um, because I realize that that's tough. And our heart is not to glorify ourselves from Prineville. Our heart is we want to come and we want to lay our lives down for the people in Polina, we want to serve you. And I would encourage everybody that's a part of this fellowship, let's look for ways that we can esteem others as better than ourselves and serve others. Because that's a great picture of who Jesus is. It's going to bring great um, gospel proclamation to this community. Uh, it's interesting that Mark is the author of the gospel, but it's believed that he was actually the secretary of Peter uh, and that Peter was the one that gave the information for this gospel. We recently had a man in our church say, uh, you know what, I don't think I believe the Bible anymore. Um, I don't think I can trust it. There's too many manuscripts and variations in the text. And you know what, uh, there's, there's too many other apocryphal books. And I just it's just all one great big um, conspiracy for man to be controlled. I'm out. And it, it was really sad. This was a dear friend of mine, and I've uh, been reasoning with him, and, and uh, it's caused me to study some of his questions. But one of the beefs that he had, if I could use Polina talk, beef, okay. Um, one of his problems was that, uh, well, how come the gospel of Peter has not been included in the canon of Scripture? Um, if anything, don't you think Peter's gospel should be added to the Bible, that seems like there's something wrong there. As you do your research, you'll find that the Gospel of Peter, actually it's a pseudoname, it's a fake name, it wasn't Peter that wrote it. In fact, there's a whole lot of heresy and false and wrong things within that book that contradict the rest of the Bible. But what a wonderful thing to know that Peter wasn't left out in his giving and his accounts. Uh, not to mention, he's got a couple of good epistles in the scripture. But he was actually one of the main contributors to Mark's gospel. Uh, so it's either two things here, as I've studied. Uh, either Mark was a secretary um, who just wrote word for word the memories of Peter. Or he was, what I've read recently, his interpreter. Uh, and so he kind of gathered the information and then he wrote it out in a way that uh, 
would be useful for the Roman people. And that helps with our context of the Gospel of Mark. Mark was written to the Romans so that they could hear, as Gentiles, the good news of the Gospel. It was being sent into the Roman provinces. And much like our day and age, which is a fast food culture, hey, give me the information, give me my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed, give me foxnews.com, give me you know, my hamburger in my truck window and I'm driving off. You know, That was kind of Rome back in the day. They wanted the information, they wanted it fast. And how beautiful that God cared enough about the Gentile Romans to give them a book that would help them understand the gospel and pass it along right away. So that's something that's great about the fast, the fastness, uh, the quick pace of this book. A little bit about Mark. Um, Mark was one of the younger guys that was following Jesus. He wasn't even technically one of the disciples, uh, but he hung around with the disciples. It's interesting that Mark's gospel is the only one that mentions in the Uh, Garden of Gethsemane account where Jesus is betrayed, Mark's gospel is the only account that mentions a young boy, probably about 16 years old, who was around the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers came to arrest Christ. There was a young man that was there kind of in the midst of it all, and he was caught by the guards to be arrested, but he ripped away his garment and he fled from the garden naked. And it's believed that the reason that's included in Mark's gospel is that Mark was the young lad who was naked in the presence of the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Now, why would that have been? Well, because it was Mark's mother who owned the home in Jerusalem that uh, the Last Supper took place, that the prayer meeting on the day of Pentecost took place, that the... um, the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 12 where Peter was in prison and was miraculously rescued from prison. There was a prayer meeting going on and remember Peter showed up at the door and was pounding on the door and I think it was Rhoda opened the door and said, ah, Peter's ghost is out there, you know, ah, you know, and nobody thought God answers prayers and opens the prison's doors. But, uh, but Mark apparently was from a wealthy family who owned this home in downtown Jerusalem and, and he may have been kind of snuggling on the couch and was told to go to bed and, and uh, watching the Last Supper events go down, following him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then ran away naked, shows up naked at home that night. Like, where have you been? You are grounded. Uh, his name is John Mark. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Roman name, John Mark. Something that we know is that he was the cousin of, and maybe nephew would be the proper term, of Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We know that Barnabas was a wealthy man, that he gave his land uh, to be given to the church community to be used for the, for the sake of the gospel. And we know that Barnabas took John Mark with him on the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. It was Paul, it was Barnabas, and it was John Mark. Now, they went through some scary stuff on that first missionary journey on the island of, um, I want to say, Cyprus. And it was there on the island that they saw a demon cast out, that they witnessed a little bit of persecution. And by the time they got to the mainland of Asia, um, there was health problems. The missionary journey was tough. And people started realizing, and John Mark specifically, that missionary work is very hard. When we go to Nepal every year in about... Uh, anywhere from February to March, we trek high up in the Nepali mountains 
and it's very difficult. We go way up to where the, the oxygen level is very low, where we are having all sorts of sicknesses put into our body through the food that we eat and the water we drink. And if you put chapstick on and you didn't wash your hands first, or something, I mean, and you're getting sick and you're throwing up on the trail and you've got to make it to the next guest house and it's snowy and it's humid and it's hot and you don't know what the weather's like. And there's demonic presences around. And even the Buddhists have seen the demons around you. There's darkness and it's not fun. And people are known to break down on our Nepal trips and cry for mommy in a sense. And it's, it's terrifying. And that's what John Mark did. He realized, I don't know if I went to Bible college long enough for this missionary trip. And he went home. And when you get to the end of Acts chapter 15, it's time to go on missionary trip number two. And Barnabas was determined to take John Mark with him. And Paul said, oh, no way we're taking that kid. He totally betrayed us on our last missionary journey. He went home. He couldn't handle it. We're not taking him. Oh, come on, Paul. Don't you believe in grace? Come on. He was a kid then. It's been a couple years. He's ready to go. I don't think so. I don't trust him. And it says that the contention between Paul and Barnabas became so severe that they split ways. And we know that that was actually for the advancement of the gospel. But, uh, but it was sad nonetheless And the wonderful thing is in 2 Timothy, when Paul is about to be executed for the faith, we know that he writes in 2 Timothy, hey, can you bring my cloak? It's cold here in these Roman prison cells. Hey, can you bring my books? I forgot them there and I need something to read. And hey, get John Mark over here for he is very useful for me in the ministry. Isn't that a great testimony? Isn't that wonderful? We all have a few John Marks in our life, don't we? The good news is, is that the Lord can totally iron things out and work it out. Um, boy, there's a lot to say. I don't know if that counted as an introduction, but that gives us a little context to what we're getting into today. Can we get through a few of the verses um, uh, today? And um, I really want to uh, really strive to have the Paulinus messages be a little shorter than my normal messages. I'm, I'm probably a normally a 45-minute to sometimes an hour speaker. I'm really going to be disciplined and uh, you know, re- be respectful of people's times here. Right now we're at 14 minutes, and I'm going to try to do this all in half an hour. So that should be pretty much. Well. That's, that's only another 16 minutes if you do the math. I don't know. Okay. Well, it says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's a wonderful beginning. John Mark gets into the book. He gets into the gospel straight away. We're going to talk about the gospel. Don't you love the sound of the gospel? I don't know if you appreciate even the word gospel yet. It means good news. In the Greek, it's the word evangelion, which is where we get our word evangelism, sharing of the faith. It means the good news from the battlefield. And I love military history. I love those stories from the Civil War and World War II or whatnot where there's been a big battle going on. All of the surrounding village people are wondering how it happens. And that courier or that you know, that, that, that rider on a horse is sent running full speed back to the village to say, we whooped them, you know, or we beat them. And it's good news from the battlefield and everybody cheers and they feel free. And that's how we can feel about the gospel is we tell our friends about what Jesus has done. He has delivered us from our sin and our bondage. He's dealt with our sin. He's forgiven us of our sin. And now we can live a life of, of, um, of wonderful debt and gratitude to that good news. Um, I don't remember what the movie was. Uh, 
maybe I shouldn't even say what it is. I just remember Jennifer Lopez was in it. And uh, she's walking along a city street, and she gets her high heel stuck in a manhole cover. Or if you're in California, workman's or a work cover. I don't know. You can't say man around here anymore. Um, but she gets her high heel stuck, and like a garbage truck is coming at her, and she's going to die. And Matthew McConaughey, I think it was, like jumps into the road and rescues her and, you know, saves her life. And she's like, oh, for the rest of my life, I, I owe my life to you. I must serve you. And, and that's all I remember from that movie. But it was a good one, I'm sure. And I'm sure it was only PG. So uh, you can watch it with your kids. Um, what I mean to say in all of this is, is we understand that God has rescued us from certain death. We have that same response, that debt of gratitude of What can I do but serve you for the rest of my life? And as we hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus introduced by Mark as the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, Jesus loved to call himself the Son of Man. It's a reference from the uh, the Gospel of Daniel or the book of Daniel, where the Son of Man was prophesied to be the one who would come and set up a kingdom that would never end. He would reign and rule forever. So Jesus would always say, I'm the son of man. Um, But he was also called the son of God. He would call himself the son of God, especially in the gospel of John. He would be eventually arrested and killed for blasphemy, saying that I am God because I'm the son of God. We're studying Revelation chapter two right now. Today we studied the church of Thyatira's letter from Jesus. And Jesus um, calls himself the son of God with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. Uh, So he's the son of God. In other words, he's God. Uh, It's because he's the son of God that he's able to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. No other man, as good as they might seem to be, has that perfect spotlessness that would be able to atone for the sins of the world. But because God came and lived the perfect life and died the sacrificial death of a sinner, um, we can have confidence that our sins are paid for. It's important to know that Jesus is the son of God. Verse two says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so every good king has a good convoy going ahead of him to prepare his way, to prepare the roads and to prepare the people. And Jesus, our king, had a great convoy going ahead of him in the person of John the Baptist. The prophets bore witness of this, of this uh, convoy, I guess you would say, coming ahead. It was in Isaiah, and it was in Micah, or rather, I'm sorry, Malachi, that John the Baptist was prophesied, that he would be a messenger, that he would prepare the way. And I love, there's a lesson in servanthood for us. John the Baptist came to prepare the way and get out of the way like he came he did his work uh it'll say in just a little bit in verse four there he came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins then all the land of judea and those from jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the jordan river confessing their sins And so John the Baptist really fulfilled this prophetic ministry over his life, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, Matthew chapter 11 would say. He would come and he would restore the hearts of the fathers towards the sons and the sons towards the fathers. 
He got the people ready for a revival. He essentially set up the big tent for the revival that was coming. He let people know of their desperate need for a savior and that they were sinners. And they would come and they would be baptized. Uh, He would come and prepare the way for the Messiah and he would get out of the way. It's interesting in another point, and I just kind of have departed from my notes today and now I'm just preaching from memory, which sometimes I do. Um, At another point, uh, the disciples of John would talk about Jesus and how he's baptized, you know, uh, rather uh, that Jesus has disciples and what are we going to do about him? It seems like he's kind of taking our people and that church over there is getting bigger than our church. And what are we going to do? And John just said, this is supposed to happen this way. All of our followers, we want them to go to that church. We want them to go be followers of Jesus. I have prepared the way, and now I want to get out of the way. And John says something at that point that's beautiful. He says, he must increase, and I must decrease. I heard one pastor say when he was asked how many people go to his church, he didn't even give an answer. He just said, he must increase, and I must decrease. We want to grow the church of Jesus, not our own personal congregations. Um, But with that being said, John had an incredible ministry. He came, and it's interesting, in the scripture, we see a few different types of baptisms. Uh, Here we have one of the first ones, and it is uh, a baptism with the element of water. And it was done by John the Baptist, but also in the New Testament, we see it being done by really any man that is a minister of the gospel of Jesus or woman, you know, Paul tells us that it's not something we should be proud about. Like, oh, I baptized so-and-so, and and I baptized, and I got 30 baptism notches on my belt today or anything like that. Um, But he just says, man, it's a wonderful way to show the world I have repented of my sins. You maybe have heard it described as baptism is an external symbol of an inward change. It's from Romans chapter 6 that that I have uh, died with Jesus But just like Jesus didn't stay dead, I am now raised to new life. And so baptism is that picture. And I remember hearing that in the Gulf War, um, a bunch of soldiers got saved and became Christians. And they wanted to be baptized, but there wasn't really a receptacle around. And so they took a coffin and they water sealed it and they filled it with water. And it was just a perfect picture of I'm being buried with Christ through baptism The good news of the gospel is Jesus didn't stay dead. He's not still on the cross. We can take those crosses down off our walls and have a man on him because he's not pinned to that cross anymore. He's risen from the dead to new life. And so too, we have the same resurrection power within us. As Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But baptism with water is... And it's a symbol to the world of our repentance from our sin and that we're not the ones living anymore, that we live for Jesus. And I hope you've been baptized since you believed in Jesus. And if not, hey, I see there's a neat bathtub next door with a hand pump and we can just knock on our neighbor's door. Can we use your bathtub for a quick baptismal? And uh, we'll get that done. I've been eyeing that thing since I first came to Prineville. That's a perfect baptismal. But there's also the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And let's go ahead and just see where that is real quick. In verse 7, he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, 
whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to quote this passage later on in Acts chapter 1 before he ascends to heaven. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, the baptism of which will come on the day of Pentecost. Um, So the second baptism is not with the element of water, it's with the person of the Holy Spirit. And the one who does the baptizing is Jesus himself. And so kind of one of the distinctives of a Calvary chapel is that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, that according to the Bible, that might happen the moment you become a Christian. And for many people, it does like the house of Cornelius. uh, It could happen before you're baptized with water, like the house of Cornelius. It could happen after you're baptized with water. Um, But the Lord's desire is that his people wait on him and, and cry out for power from the Holy Spirit so that we can go and preach the gospel. Uh, We don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given so that we can just get wacky and crazy and lose control of ourselves. We believe that the Holy Spirit is given. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, is the language, so that you can be witnesses of me and have courage to be witnesses of me locally in your hometown, regionally in your county, and globally to the rest of the world. And so uh, that's just something that as we go through the word, we'll see a few different times, but I would encourage you uh, to spend time with Jesus in maybe a private place and just ask him, maybe let him examine your life and say, Lord, do I look like someone who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit and just have dynamite power to go preach the gospel? Or am I a little bit dry? And the Lord may say, you know what, you're kind of like that sponge by the kitchen sink that's hard and crusty, and I just want to plunge you in the living water and give you life and just fresh breath that torrents of living water could flow from you. I want to give you spiritual gifts, not that you can be all sorts of crazy, but that you can edify the church and that you can display Christ to the world. It's interesting that John's description here was that He was clothed, this is in verse 6, he was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now on a day like today, doesn't a nice camel hair garment just sound so nice? Maybe a good leather belt. I'm sure he had a good buckle, you know. You know, funny, I heard a story that uh, a man was picked up on the side of the road, uh, crazy, claiming to be John the Baptist. And so they had to put him in a straight jacket and they put him in the squad car and, you know, they got him all the way to the, to the jailhouse and they got him out and they put him in the cell. Well, they, there happened to have been another crazy man picked up that night and he was in the cell already. So two crazy guys in one cell and the first is screaming out, I'm John the Baptist and I've been sent here by Jesus. And the other crazy man looked at him and said, I didn't send you out. (laughs) He was claiming to be Jesus. Okay, okay, forget it. But a very unique personality in the scripture, wouldn't you say, John the Baptist? Uh, I have a kid's Bible that when you open it up and you get to the John the Baptist story, there's a, it's like, it's like a guy with a camera came and surprised John the Baptist like in the, by a tree, you know, and right when the camera gets there, he's like putting a bug in his mouth, you know, 
and it just simply says, John ate bugs, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, you weren't supposed to see that, you know, as he puts the legs in there and swallows it down. John ate bugs. Maybe they go down better with honey. I don't know. The cousin of Jesus, faithful to the end, he would proclaim the truth. And later on, he would end up being beheaded as he stood up for the truth of the morality of the scripture. But he was one that prepared the way for Jesus. And that's something that we want to do. That's what I want to do as a servant. I want to prepare the way for Jesus. And then I want to get out of the way. Um, And that's what all of us should want to do. Lord, what are you doing in Polina? How can we make room for the Holy Spirit to uh, to make room for him in our midst so that he can do his work, John chapter 14, of making Jesus known in this place? Um, We will study uh, a little more about John the Baptist next week where Jesus will come and be baptized and then Jesus will go on out into the wilderness to be tested. So, so much to say. Man, uh, I wish I just lived here with you guys and we could just pull an all-nighter and just <laughs> talk so much about, uh, about Mark. But it's a really fun book. It's really fast-paced. It's probably going to feel a little fast-paced um, uh, for us here. In a sense, I feel like God is, uh, he's just, he's put us in a slingshot. And he's just, he's like launching us into something right now. And he's just brought the gospel of Mark to kind of help be a catalyst for that in our lives. And um, Johnny, you can come on up. Uh, <clears throat> want to just open up uh, before we close in prayer and close with a final song. And... Uh,